Welcome to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. I'm Karen Wright Marsh. Do you wonder if Christian faith can be truly lived in today's complex and changing world? Well, this is the place to find broken and beautiful companions for your everyday pilgrimage. Here, you'll find embodied witnesses, Christians from different eras and different cultures. They're people we sometimes call saints, but they were also sinners, just like you and me. Today, I'm here to tell you the story of C.S. Lewis and to talk about it with a good friend of mine, Caitlin Beatty. I'm glad you're here with us. I've always known about C.S. Lewis. As a kid, I read his fantasy stories, The Chronicles of Narnia. As an earnest college student, I read Mere Christianity, a book that has sold more than 3.5 million copies. I knew Lewis as a respected intellectual who made arguments for faith, but I had no idea that as a 17-year-old, Lewis had said this, I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof for any of them. And from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. So how did he grow from this teenager who boldly dismissed religion as an irrational myth to become a world-renowned public Christian? Well, here's his story. C.S. Lewis, known as Jack, was born in Ireland in 1898. When he was only nine years old, his mother Flora died of cancer. His father Albert packed him off to a dreary boarding school where chapel was a dull, duty-bound affair. Lonely and heartbroken, the poor boy repudiated the faith of his family. As a teenager, he adopted rational, hard science to explain everything. He felt that with a materialistic view of the world, he would be free from religious superstition. He was admitted to Oxford University. But World War I disrupted his education. Later, back in Oxford, after fighting with the British Army, the young, wounded veteran bragged that he had never once called upon any god, even in a foxhole. In spite of himself, though, his imagination drew him back to myth and to story. He had flashbacks of early mornings from childhood when he and his brother would play in the garden in the old house and he was taken by a longing, an unsatisfied desire. He was captivated by this feeling that he came to call joy. As a fellow and tutor at Oxford, he continued to say things like, I'm not the religious type. I want to be let alone, to feel that I'm on my own. Jack spoke, though, of the steady, unrelenting approach of the very one whom he had earnestly desired not to meet God. And after years of wrangling and resisting, Jack Lewis all alone knelt and prayed, the most dejected 
and what he declared the most reluctant convert in all of England. What was it that brought him to this faith? Well, he was compelled by that old ache, the powerful, painful feeling of longing, of joy, the key to transcendence. He felt the existence beneath and beyond this one. And in his own way, he was logical. I mean, Jack considered his own desire. He considered these experiences that nothing in the world could satisfy, and he concluded that he must be made for another world. There must be far more than meets the calculating eye. Christianity made reasonable sense of things at last, and this was more than he could say for his earlier atheism. With a new, imaginative faith, Jack Lewis saw the intrinsic interconnectedness of things, and the world was re-enchanted. God, he thought, became the true source of joy, and it caught his restless mind and seeking heart. At 31, Jack had returned to faith, but this time he embraced the Christian story, not through fear or duty, but out of a brave willingness to be charmed by a big, beautiful story. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is the audio companion to my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners, 25 Christians Who Transformed My Faith. To learn more, come on by my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes and invite your friends to join us. Now for a conversation about C.S. Lewis with my friend, Caitlin Beatty. So I'm happy to welcome Caitlin Beatty to talk with me today about C.S. Lewis. She's an editor. She's a writer. uh, She's written a wonderful book called A Woman's Place, A Christian Vision for Your Calling in the Office, the Home, and the World. Uh, You can read her pieces in the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Washington Post, Religion News Service, and Religion and Politics. Caitlin lives in Brooklyn, where she serves as the acquisition editor for Brazos Press and previously served as editor for Christianity Today magazine. So welcome, Caitlin. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, tell me, when did you first read C.S. Lewis? That's a great question. I, well, I I read, I think, three of the six Chronicles of Narnia when I was, I want to say, in third or fourth grade and really enjoyed them like so many young people. But I actually wasn't really, I grew up in a nominally Christian home until I was maybe 11 or 12. And so the the Christian themes of those books didn't really land for me. I didn't realize that, you know, Aslan was actually Jesus and that that Lewis was writing on themes of, of Christian faith. So I would say, I, I would actually count the screw tape letters as my first true engagement with Lewis. And that came uh, during my sophomore year of of college. And from there, I just, throughout college, I just devoured Lewis's classics. Um, I love The Great Divorce, uh, Mere Christianity, The Problem of Pain, Surprised by Joy. This is probably true for a lot of evangelicals that, you know, Lewis, is kind of their first 
entree into an intellectual engagement with Christian faith. And that was very, I, I had never really been exposed to the Christian intellectual tradition before Lewis. And so he, you know, he was an entree for me and has profoundly shaped how I think about Christianity. And this this C.S. Lewis who captured you in college, would you say that it was his, just purely the fact that there here was this intellectual person uh, speaking of Christianity, or were there particular ideas that were fresh and, and new for you at the time? Yeah, I mean, I think both. The, the answer is yes to both. Um, I think the fact that Lewis was this highly regarded Oxford scholar that could you know, keep up with his intellectual peers and was also a person of faith was somewhat radical to me at that time, in part because I had not been exposed to the Christian intellectual tradition really until I encountered Lewis. And so the idea that being a person of faith didn't mean that you had to set aside your your mind <laughs> and your intellect was itself really refreshing. I realized early on in my time at a Christian college, um, I'll just put in a plug, Calvin College <laughs> in Grand Rapids. I learned like early on being there that I, the life of the mind and the life of faith were deeply connected for me. And that the experience of learning about God's world, uh, about creation and human culture brought glory to God and was connected to my own uh, devotion to God. That I think Lewis played a part in all of that. And I think that was very true for him. But I also think that, you know, Lewis's path to accepting God, and he says that that was something he really didn't want. It was like, <laughs> like a last resort. Oh, I guess God just chased him down. But that there was a direct encounter with the experience of desire and the, the wonder of life and the pleasures of life that spoke to a type of pleasure or a type of desire that was beyond this human life. And that led him to God. Um, I mean, he, it's joy, you know, it's the experience of joy. And I, what I love about that is that I think Lewis gives us a way to, to talk about the goodness and joy of the world and of, of life. There's like an earthly spirituality in a lot of his writing that I think is, is really refreshing. Yes. I find that uh, whole idea of desire to be, to really resonate with college students when, when I speak with them, because he does, he talks about your desires are too weak. They're too small because so many of us grew up with, with the idea of renouncing ourselves and, you know, care, bearing our cross and, you know, suffering, it's, it's going to be tough. You know, all those fun things are suspect, right? He pushes us, I think, as, as other pe people like Bonhoeffer do to see the world as this beautiful gift and that really we ask too little rather than too much of, of the Christian life and of following Christ. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that the experience of joy is not in itself bad or suspect that oftentimes the most joyous moments of our life open us to praising God to to ultimately desiring God and the kingdom that they're connected. 
when I read C.S. Lewis, I, I, I was not aware of the, the story of his early life in which his mother died, his father sent him this to this nightmare of a boarding school. You know, all the early childhood traumas that he had, which led him, I think, to uh, renounce Christianity, renounce this faith, this religion. Uh, and he persisted so doggedly in his rejection of Christianity and pursued materialism, atheism, science as uh, alternative ways of seeing the world. So I wonder, uh, Caitlin, for us and for people that we know, how much of our problems with faith are emotional and come out of these traumas, the personal element, and how much of them are intellectual and issues around doctrine? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm sure that you know, different people would answer that differently based on their own experience as well as their own wiring. Um, I do think that there are there are people who are highly intellectual, and so the intellectual barriers to faith are are real for them. You know, they want a faith that is intellectually credible and robust. But I tend to think that most of us are not intellectualized into honest faith, that there is a deeper experience, maybe we might say emotional or existential, that either leads us away from faith or toward faith. I think the intellect actually comes later, <laughs> that usually our, our either embrace or rejection of faith starts with an experience, um, good or bad, and then we intellectualize our way back into faith or away from faith. And so for Lewis, mm -hmm. I think it, even though he had his intellectual reasons for rejecting faith and for being an atheist for a long time, I have to think that his difficult childhood experiences and trauma early in life, ultimately, you know, it goes back to the experience of suffering. And I think probably the experience of suffering is one of the most credible challenges to Christian faith that there can be. And so many people, you know, so many of us living in a broken world, um, in difficult family backgrounds, um, it's really hard to, to believe in a good and loving and all powerful God when there is this horrible suffering in our lives. We ask, well, where is God in the midst of this? And I think that's something that obviously Lewis personally faced. So then it's interesting that his reversal and his acceptance of faith came from, I think it ultimately came from the experience of joy and the intellect followed from that. Yeah, I agree. I think C.S. Lewis shows us the complexity and the interplay between intellectual arguments and sort of thinking and and the the personal emotional experience and how those two things you know we all are made up of all these elements of thinkers and feelers and experiencers that, that our faith is uh, such a complicated journey i think that you know oftentimes our entree or pathway to god is also about an experience that is beautiful I think that was true for Lewis, but encountering a beautiful work of art or a story or, you know, a, a meal, I think all of those things, those experiences of just good human <laughs> uh, beauty and gift, I think a lot of people instinctively desire to 
give thanks for those experiences and they just may not know who to thank, you know, but that there is something about those experiences that, that leads us to be grateful. And we want to express gratitude to the giver of life and the giver of good gifts. And it's just that many people don't know who to thank, but I think that experience of gratitude means that you're, you're a step closer. Yes, I agree with you very much there. So last word on C.S. Lewis. What is C.S. Lewis teaching you today? Mm. We have this mythology, I think, built up around Lewis. And I think when you read his autobiographical writing, you realize like he was a deeply flawed (laughs) person and, and just human. Like he had weaknesses and he... He had these like worldly pleasures like smoking 60 cigarettes a day that we might say, wow, that, you know, if you if he stepped into a Baptist church, he would be considered backsliding. But there's something about that that's really refreshing to me and I think is refreshing for about so many of the saints is that they are so wonderfully human, even while they are embodiments of a, a profound relationship with God or profound obedience. They're also, a a lot Mm. of them are just really messy and maybe not even like particularly nice people. People are complex and saints are complex as much as any of the rest of us. Well, Caitlin, it's such a joy to speak with you. Thanks for joining me on the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking with Caitlin Beatty and discovering how C.S. Lewis has appeared throughout both of our lives. As kids, we remember him as an imaginative storyteller. As ambitious college students, he was for us the model of a Christian intellectual, an atheist who had become convinced of the viability of faith. And I'd say that for Caitlin and for me, he gave us some courage to pursue our academic dreams. You probably have your own story with C.S. Lewis, and I hope that the next time you read his words, you'll think back on this conversation and remember the very human man behind all the books. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, and I'm the Executive Director of Theological Horizons, a ministry based in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. I'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Theological Horizons. Come by my website, KarenWrightMarsh.com. You'll find out more about the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast, get show notes, and learn about my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. You can download free printable study guides for your small group or just for yourself and keep the conversation going. Thanks to the generosity of the Lloyd and Vivian Noble Foundation and to the Friends of Theological Horizons. I hope you'll support the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast with a tax-deductible gift to Theological Horizons. Go to theologicalhorizons.org slash giving or donate on Venmo at theological-horizons. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang. 
Our music is by Will Marsh of Gold Connections. <laughs>